Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. I'm Janine, and today I'm joined with one of our worth therapists, Kimberly Day, and also joining us is Alana Gordon, who is the director of the Worth Program at Life Changing Services. Both women are here today to continue an ongoing discussion on abuse and some of the ways that it can manifest itself in a relationship that's been affected by pornography. And if you haven't already listened to the previous episodes that we've done on this topic, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. I think that this topic is so important to our worth community and someone who is struggling with and recovering from betrayal trauma for so many reasons. But from my perspective, I feel more often than not, this abuse portion is overlooked and not identified or named as abuse. And then I think if we're not naming it, we're prolonging the pain and we're kind of going around in circles about this. So I really appreciate you ladies being here today to continue this ongoing discussion. So welcome. Thank you for having me. So today we'd like to discuss and help our listeners identify elements related to components of physical abuse and then maybe dive into some of the more covert forms of control and emotional abuse in the relationship. So I want to start out by asking you what may seem like a real obvious question but I would love for you to define abuse for our listeners. Oh, I'd say that's anything but an obvious question. There's a lot of ways of viewing that. Uh, We've talked about that in the past. First, if you look at domestic violence specifically, it is defined around the intent to gain power and control over something, uh, over someone. And there are varied and very different ways of doing that. And part of why we've split it up into different categories is to to highlight how that can be manifested. But with abuse in general, man, you caught me off guard with that question. How would I define abuse in general? Well, I guess, is there like a, a resource that women can go to so that she can get clear in her mind what abuse is? I guess that's what I'm looking for is you know, how do we define this? And where does a woman go to educate herself about this definition? Because it does seem to have this umbrella, or we we tend to categorize it, kind of like you said. And then some forms seem really egregious or egregious, and others do not. And so Physical abuse seems very obvious. It's something that we can kind of wrap our brains about. It's not socially acceptable, but then this component of emotional abuse or more covert forms of abuse don't seem to be that way. And so we can't define it. And so I guess I wanted to define this so that in the broader sense, women could look at 
this definition and then we can narrow in and get more specific. So no, I, it makes complete sense. And I typically think of abuse when um, someone uses their greater power to control or manipulate another. When you Google it, you'll get definitions like the use of something to a bad effect or for a bad purpose. So like misuse. So that, again, that misuse of power. Another one is to treat a person or animal with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. I think that's an important piece is that repeated. The thing that makes abuse so difficult to pinpoint is it looks different for everybody. And it can't go off of the definition of the person who is causing the harm. Because then we get really caught up in intent versus impact. It really comes to the individual and what they feel like is happening. What makes it really messy is if somebody is really good at using this power to control or manipulate somebody, the person who is being abused often does not recognize it as abuse, which is why we love having these conversations of the three of us bouncing around and talking about this, because we will talk about these overt ways that it does show up. So women listening can go, oh, that's not okay. Because we don't typically learn anywhere in school and only sometimes from our parents of, you know, blocking the door for you to leave is not okay. Nobody tells us, hey, he hides the car keys from you. That's not okay. And so we just kind of accept whatever the relationship is as normal or acceptable when there's quite a few behaviors that aren't. So that's why we come together and have these conversations to hopefully give women the tools, the verbiage, and the idea of what healthy behavior is and what unhealthy behavior is. Yeah, for myself personally, I have never had a healthy marital relationship because, you know, pornography use was happening prior to our marriage and he developed unhealthy attitudes and behaviors and thinking towards women. And I never knew anything different in my own relationship and nothing ever seemed to be out of place because he didn't physically abuse me. Like I, I've never been able to make this connection until probably the last year because the physical portion was not necessarily present. And so I never even considered the emotional, psychological, relational abuse that had been occurring for, you know, over 30 years. And I feel like it's shaped my own behavior. And so I'm trying to step out of those unhealthy behaviors that I've developed over the years to be able to cope with the unhealthy marriage. And I think, Janine, there's a lot of women in that same boat. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I would validate, I think a lot of women do have a, a general sense, this doesn't feel good, or they this may be not right, but they don't have words to talk about it. And when we can look at it from more of a global sense of seeing the underlying patterns of what is going on, those underlying currents of shifting of power or manipulation, and label that abuse or abusive, or it gives us, in a sense, it gives us permission to set boundaries 
around that and say, I don't need to tolerate that. I, and that is wrong. It gives us permission to validate our own experience and that impact that Alana was talking about and honor that and say, no, that's not acceptable and create safety for ourselves for that. But it takes oftentimes drilling into below just a single incident and starting to see those underlying currents and patterns. And oftentimes we think about abuse and it even defined, and this is where I was struggling to come up with a, a, a single sentence definition that would be easy, a litmus test to say, is this abuse or not, is because we tend to think about it in terms of incidences of abuse. And that's true. There are incidences of abuse. But when we talk about that, we're, we think about, he punched me. He threw me against the wall. He, he broke my arm. He gave me a black eye, right? Those are kind of the stereotypical images that we have when we think about abuse. We think about them as incidences of pretty overt violence. And those are definitely incidences of abuse. But what allows those to take place and allows uh, women to feel trapped in those type of situations is this underlying current and shifting of power and control or these manipulation tactics that slowly over time erode her self-confidence, her self-image, her confidence in her own abilities to stand up for herself. They skew her reality to and and distort that to put her in a position of extreme vulnerability where when those bigger things do happen, then she's not in a position of being empowered where she can stand up and argue against those or set boundaries against those. And so even if you don't have those overt type of incidences, that underlying current is so common of again, slowly eroding a woman's sense of empowerment and identity and her own perceptions of herself and her worth. And that's where some of these incidents, that's the scary thing for me when I hear about incidences of abuse, whether they be overt or covert, is because I'm very aware of all of the, and in my opinion, it's often, you know, hear people say this, the more damaging is this subtle, covert, over long periods of time pattern of tearing her down that has to have been present to allow for those incidences. Possibly, you know, every once in a while you might have somebody behaving really badly and again, but, uh, and it's just a single incident, but way more often than not, and if not always, there is this subtle uh, and it's never spoken about. It's never identified. In that is its power, is because it's not brought out to the light. It's not talked about. She doesn't see it. And that's what allows the the power to be slowly shifted in the relationship and drained from her and leaves her feeling vulnerable, leaves her feeling like she doesn't have any options. And again, oftentimes she has the sense that this isn't right. I don't like how I feel. I know this isn't healthy, but I don't have words to talk about what's happening. I don't have a way to label it so that I can see it and bring it into the light and manipulate it and consider my alternatives. It's just this sense of, I have very little choice here. And when women are in that position where they say, I have to submit to what he expects me to do. I have to do it this way, not because I want to, but I just feel like I have to. There's something going on there 
that indicates to me that there's been this pattern of manipulation and, and power and abuse that have usually that has led her to this position where she feels very, very disempowered. And so that's something I want to explore. What's going on there? Where is that feeling coming from? What have been, what has led up to that? Very often women, and when we talk about physical abuse, we do, we do absolutely need to talk about using physical force to injure a partner or to control her. But there's also, in my opinion, what I consider part of physical abuse is eliciting fear or intimidation. So these are the more subtle things, this, the looming over her, the blocking her way in the door, the trapping her in a room, the, the threats, whether they be overtly spoken or just implied against her, her, her family member, her friends, her kids, or her pets. The, and again, this, they can be really subtle and they just imply the little, the, a statement that may, nobody may recognize as even threatening, but she feels it in her body. Like um, if she were going on a vacation and he wasn't happy about that, he might say, man, I hope that your pets are okay when you get back. And nobody else would blink an eye at something like that. But she knows that that means that he's unhappy with what she's doing and that those pets that are a treasure to her are in danger in some way. And so these, again, that very subtle underlying communication, and it's very personal, it's very individual. She gets the message and she picks up on it on a very visceral level. And so now she's activated, she's fearful, she's might even be terrified. And maybe she doesn't even identify why exactly she feels that way, which then blends into the spirit experience of gaslighting. She feels like she's going crazy. She doesn't know um, why she feels that way. And her body is sending her this very clear signal, this very clear feeling of, I don't feel safe. I feel threatened. I feel fearful. And, and it may not be clear where that's coming from. And so that eliciting fear, that intimidation of don't step out of line or else, that is either, again, overtly spoken, but very often just felt. It's communicated. It keeps her in line. And typically, these type of things are progressive, where it starts with little things, and then it gets bigger and bigger, and she gets deeper and deeper into this feeling of being trapped and disempowered and not able to stand up. And she loses again, because gaslighting is a huge part of this too. She loses that sense of of clarity of what's happening. And she thinks this is me. And if she tries to call him on it, he will spin that back around and say, you're crazy. Or how can you imply that I would do that? And it creates a very easy avenue for him to gaslight her back into her position of, of being disempowered and not standing up for herself. So that to me, that's the scary part of physical abuse, not the, well, of course, the incidences of physical violence are, are very scary. But the more scary part to me is what has had to happen to build up to her being in that state of, and some, for many, it's a almost constant fear the lack of ability to live her own life and to make her own choices because as soon as she steps over whatever invisible line he has a way of putting her back in her place 
that's very, very effective, and she doesn't know why it's happening. So, Alana, did you want to add anything to that? Well, I was just thinking about how you had mentioned the shifting that happens, and it happens slowly over time. And so I think that's really important to note that that is another reason why it can be so confusing or hard to recognize is because it often happens gradually. And so that can add to it. And then I think about in private, they may use words more directly, but just like you said, the the tone, how they say it, those covert words that to everybody else will seem innocent or they won't pick up on it. That abuse is so personal. He knows you, he knows your buttons. And so no words are needed for him to convey a very strong message to you. So just like you're saying, Kim, is really getting in tune with what's happening within your own body. And I can't emphasize this enough. This is why we go back so often when we're talking about betrayal trauma recovery, you'll hear a lot about yoga and meditation because not only do those help you heal from trauma that's stored within your body, it also helps you start recognizing what you're experiencing. It helps you be able to take all of these things that we're talking about, which really can feel so abstract and so hard to formulate into what is my reality. And it brings us in our body and our body has this alarm system that's been there um, as long as humans have been on earth to keep us alive and to keep us safe. And when we have somebody in our life who is abusing us, they don't want us to feel abused. They want us to feel controlled, but they don't want us knowing that what's happening. It's a whole lot easier for everybody if we just stay quiet and stay in our place and stay submissive. And so they would prefer this all to just stay on the down low. But when we really get inside of our body and start being aware of what is happening, what those signals are saying, when they're going off, what situations they're heightened with, it empowers us to have that knowledge to now start taking action, to start rising up. And that all of a sudden can make the relationship dynamics change and make that other person very uncomfortable. I think there's a couple of things I want to jump in and add there. One is when we start to assert a little bit more individuality or a little bit more power in a very healthy, positive way, when we start to get strong, when we start to maybe go to meetings and learn about boundaries and start to set them, that can be really threatening. And oftentimes we experience a lot more resistance, uh, almost always when um, there's going to be resistance to our boundaries. Uh, When you're in a relationship dynamic where that power and control is his agenda. He wants to keep that. He's not acting strictly out of addict mode thinking where your boundaries become even more threatening and he might target them specifically um, to try to push you back into uh, a position of submissiveness, to put you back in your place. It may actually anger him a lot when you start to get strong, when you start to get healthy. And so I think it's so important to have these topics or talk about these dynamics and help women to recognize the need to reach out for help if they're in that situation. This is one of the reasons why we screen women coming into the WORTH program for domestic violence sort of 
patterns of behavior because they can actually even be at more risk to violence when they start setting boundaries and start asserting themselves in healthy ways if you have these type of dynamics. But what we've learned is the victims aren't aware that that's going on and they aren't always manifest in really overt, overtly injurious type of incidents. And so it's nearly impossible to screen that out. And so we need to talk about when you're in that sort of position, what do you do? What can you do? And give yourself permission to reach out for help. When you're in, when it, with you ha- if, you, if you're married with a partner who is particularly prone to violence, it is, it is absolutely ne- necessary for you to have, to reach out and to create safety for yourself by bringing in other people to help to provide that protection. The other thing that I wanted to mention with this is we talk about betrayal trauma a lot, obviously. That's what our groups are designed around. And we talk about that physiological activation that takes place because of trauma and the the hyperarousal and the state of being triggered. And we talk about how to manage triggers and how to deal with triggers. And I think it's really important to recognize that sometimes our body is being activated, not just because we're triggered and we're a false alarm is going off in our head. Sometimes that's a real alarm that's going off in our head. And so part of our healing is learning to differentiate, even when both might be happening. Is this a real alarm? Is my body sending me information that I need to respond to about a very real risk? And often when there is abuse and betrayal trauma, it can be really complicated and it gets messy about trying to pin down what are the messages and what is a valid alarm and what is a betrayal trauma reaction. And it's very important to recognize they're two very different things. Are you single? Worth YSA is for single women of all ages. Empower yourself and eliminate fears that can come with dating in a world where pornography is increasingly pervasive. Worth YSA is a 12-week class for women 18 and over to learn about how pornography affects relationships, what healthy recovery looks like, what healthy intimacy consists of, warning signs of abuse, red flags, setting healthy boundaries, and more. Head to HealingWithWorth.org to enroll. So what I'm hearing you say then is it sounds like when you're talking about a trauma reaction, you're speaking about trauma reaction of something that happened in the past and you're having that reaction today and you have to sort through that versus this alarm that's warning you right now, there are active things that are happening that are putting you in danger. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that because I think we've all experienced that when we've had betrayal trauma of hitting a trigger that's related to a past trauma that we have. And oftentimes it it gives us an opportunity to work through that and to process that a little bit more. But then, as you said, Alana, there are also those alarms that are saying, hey, something just happened. Something just happened in this conversation. Something just happened in this interaction. And oftentimes our, well, I would say almost always our body picks up on those subtle messages before our brain does. And so tuning into that and approaching our response with an attitude of curiosity rather than 
being critical of ourselves. Oh, I'm overreacting. I'm oversensitive. Even sometimes a sense of self-loathing. What is wrong with me? I'm feeling this again. And the active energy of trying to shut ourselves and our bodies down is not what we want to do. We want to uh, approach that with curiosity. And if it ends up being, okay, you know what? I processed through this. I've got back to, to feeling grounded. And I recognize that my body was responding to a trigger from the past. And it gave me a opportunity to work through that a little bit that's great and if we do that and we find that there is something else that maybe is more in our present the process of getting curious about our experience is the same as saying what is going on and approaching ourselves with saying that this that I'm okay even though I'm feeling this it might be uncomfortable but rather than being self-critical or or demeaning which is so often a a pattern that we get ourselves into and sometimes that might have been from gaslighting or other reasons but if you don't know i'm feeling something immensely and i don't know is this an act is is this a current warning or is this a, a a trauma trigger from my past the approach is the same on how to work through that at least initially yeah, it seems like women really want to dismiss these alarms. And if they're not familiar with them, for instance, I didn't know these alarms were really going off. I thought, you know, it's not all that bad. He's not he's not beating me up. There's lots of good in him. This is just all a part of marriage. You know, I'm I'm going to dismiss those alarms because that's kind of my past thinking and and what I'm thinking what my brain's telling me. I love that you say that, Janine, because that's so common is we have in our mind of what abuse looks like. And it tends to be like worst case scenario. You've seen where women are beat up or put in the hospital or her life is at risk. And our brain tends to go to that and go, well, that's not my situation. So I must be this, or I must be seeing it wrong, or I just need to relax, or I'm just in too much trauma. And we we discount it, just like you said, because it's not this, what we've pictured abuse to be. So I would love, Kim, if you give us a little bit more of just what does physical abuse look like overtly and covertly, so women can have a little more of a guideline of what Um, could be some of the things that are triggering those alarms that they may have discounted. Definitely. And this is certainly not a complete list, but it kind of gets you thinking about some of the ways that this might manifest. So the most obvious where your partner's physically injured you, or we have a tendency of, like you said, Alana, we always go to the worst case and we can always think of something worse. And we always say, well, it's not that, therefore it can't be that bad. And yet, there's somebody below you who is saying, well, it's not her, so it can't be that bad. And so recognizing and honoring the impact wherever you are. So there's the physical injury. There's also just infl- uh, inflicting physical pain by slapping, striking, hitting, biting, pinching, pushing, strangling, pulling your hair. If partner has forced you to stay in a room or a house with him against your will, if he's blocked you held you down or restrained you in any way, especially if you're trying to get away, that can be intensely frightening and have long-standing effects of eliciting fear that go way beyond that single incident. If 
sometimes if your partner has locked you out of the house, especially if it was unexpected, if you went outside without your shoes or something and preventing you from getting your physical needs met, whether that be keeping you out of the house, keeping you away from your clothes, keeping your medication away, any of those type of keeping you from your needs, your physical needs as physical abuse. If he has drugged you or forced you to take pills or anything that was against your will, if he's prevented you from eating or sleeping, again, preventing you from getting your physical needs met, that's physical abuse. Some of the more covert or things that will elicit a sense of fear or intimidation that maybe are less directly physical force related are is if your partner scares you by coming at you and he's too close. Maybe he's in your face. Maybe he's simply yelling at you. Maybe he's completely silent and just staring you down in a very intimidating way. Maybe he's standing over you or in, in some sort of way, something that elicits a sense of fear. If he punches things or he damages property, maybe it's never directed towards you, but he's punching through walls or punching through doors or throwing stuff around, breaking things. If he's shaking you, if he makes frightening or intimidating statements to get you to do what he wants. And maybe like Alana said, it's in the, the calmest, he's not yelling or screaming, but the tone of his voice communicates everything in what he says. So what you're really honing in on is how do you feel when he says that? If your partner has threatened or implied a threat to yourself or to those you care about, including your pets, or if he's threatened or implied a threat to himself, that can feel also really intimidating and scary. That if I don't comply, he's going to do something to himself. That can be very very effective in controlling a woman, controlling anybody. I'm not going to say this also can, when we're talking about physical abuse, it's often men towards women, but even with the coercive control, it can go either direction. And with physical abuse, it can go that way too. Your partner, maybe he drives dangerously when he's upset just to let you see how upset he is and to cause fear. If he threatens to do destroy things or to hurt your pets, like we said, if you're driving together and he kicks you out of the car and leaves you somewhere where you're vulnerable and you don't know how you're going to get off the side of the highway or, or something like that, there really are almost an infinite variety of ways to elicit this fear or this intimidation. But the underlying, what the commonality is, if you don't comply something will happen. I will do something. And that feeling of threat or dread or intimidation that for some reason, if I step past this, and sometimes it's a completely invisible line. It's never been overtly stated. And yet you both know this is what you are not allowed, if you will, to do. I am not allowed to step over the line or else. And oftentimes it's this kind of an ominous sense of, I don't know what will happen, but I have this fear. So tune into that, that fear and explore that a little bit. Maybe it isn't because he's doing that. Maybe there's something there that that is from your past or something like that, but it's definitely something that needs to be explored. And very often it's rooted in experiences that you're having at the current in your present that you are not yet aware fully about what's happening because it, that it's that underlying current of manipulation and control that goes unspoken and it has to be 
kept secret. Does this component manifest itself sexually oh. in the relationship? I mean, because that's another component of this physical abuse aspect, right? It seems like it kind of all bleeds together, yes. you know, it, it's all kind of layered on top of each other, but... I love that you said that. I think that's important to recognize is very rarely, if never, is it one form of abuse exist in isolation. And part of why I think we want to drill in and highlight some of it is to recognize there will be some women that will recognize the spiritual abuse first or the sexual abuse or even the physical. Maybe some of these, hey, I like you talked about Janine, you know, he's never hit me. I've no, There's never been this physical abuse, but he has been kind of threatening or kind of demanding. And I've, you know, he's kind of backed me into corner once or twice, or he's casually bumped me as uh, he's walked past. And I said, Hey, you know, and, and he said, Oh, sorry. You know, but I knew it wasn't an accident. You know, these little subtle ways of communicating power. I think women start to recognize them in certain areas and then they start to see them in other areas of their life. And sexually is a huge one, especially for partners of sex addicts. That's a humongous topic. I think we need to save. I mean, it could take up a lot of podcasts because it is, and it's so important to consider how this is manifesting sexually. And we have uh, a webinar coming up next month on this topic specifically on what does healthy sexuality look like and what does it look like when it's not healthy and when is that abuse and when is that injury and what's the difference and what are common experiences when you're dealing with a sex addict who has unhealthy sexual patterns and when is it actually abuse. So if we can save that and maybe leave a few of our listeners hanging, I think that is so important to talk about. Yeah, we definitely will get to that on an, another podcast. Alana, is there anything else you want to add before we conclude here? Well, at one point earlier, we had talked about needing to bring in help. Like if you recognize that you have these red flags happening or these alarms are going off in your body, don't do it alone and bring in help. But for so many women, they don't feel like it's bad enough to call a domestic shelter or the shame and the embarrassment of making that phone call can feel just paralyzing. So where and how do women who are listening to this and going, oh no, I'm recognizing things, I'm seeing things, but I don't know how to get help. I don't know how to bring people in. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, because often the woman or, or the people on the outside of the relationship are not seeing these behaviors necessarily like the woman is. And so if she were to reach out for help to a parent, to even an ecclesiastical leader, they're going to look at them and think, you are a crazy woman. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes, absolutely. And that happens so much. And oftentimes with partners that are particularly abusive, they've already kind of preemptively conditioned the people around them and around that victim against that exact situation. They've already started to suggest in very subtle and covert ways. And so they're brought in to this without them recognizing it. These people around her are brought into this gaslighting process and they help to reinforce the message of stay where you are and stay quiet about it. And it's not that bad. Or again, that gaslighting. And that is not uncommon for him to preemptively be 
communicating messages to even her family sometimes and his family and to the bishop too. Sometimes it is very conscious. Sometimes it maybe is not so much, but sometimes it is a very, a very conscious attempt to cut her off from resources. Oftentimes there are attempts to keep her isolated and to limit her outside resources to prevent um, her from reaching out when it gets too bad. And so I totally agree with what Alana says. I think oftentimes as we start to build awareness that maybe some of this is going on, our first instinct is not to call a shelter. And that's understandable too. Sometimes also there's these kind of dynamics where there's still hope for the marriage. And maybe these dynamics are more subtle. Maybe he doesn't recognize them. She's starting to recognize them, but she still has hope for the marriage. Usually the the domestic violence hotline is it's designed to essentially get you out of an incredibly risky situation where there's violence or the potential for violence. And so maybe we feel like that doesn't fit our needs or it doesn't fit our agenda right now. I'm not looking to get out right now. I'm looking for help. I'm looking for resources. And so I would definitely encourage women to reach out to a trained therapist that has experience with domestic abuse. And to start with her, the hotline might be great for resources to give her an idea. Just say, hey, I just need resources. I need to know what to read. Can you refer me to some therapists that can help me to understand them? They will know the best therapists who can see these patterns. Because oftentimes, even going to a therapist, unless they're trained specifically in domestic violence or domestic abuse, they're not going to pick up on the patterns either. And they might be working on different things. They may be focusing on reducing your stress or whatever else, and they're not going to see the bigger pattern. So I love the idea of the hotline simply to access resources. Even if you're not looking at leaving, this is a time to build yourself up and to make connections and to get support where it's safe. I love that you brought up some places they're not, some people Although they're still great, they might be your family, might be your bishop, but they're not going to be a good resource to help. Maybe your bishop will, maybe your family will, but you have to look at your individual situation and be really proactive in reaching out and finding what will work for you and empowering yourself through educating yourself about what's going on and what your options are. And it is a process. I'd like to say one last thing. Well, I guess two last things about this is please don't fall into the trap of I'm weak. You know, if I, if I were stronger, I would be able to handle this or I, I would handle this right. That shame trap of as we start to recognize maybe how messy things have gotten, oftentimes we have the tendency to turn again on ourselves and say, you know, how did I let it get here? In those cases, you have you've been a victim of of this pattern that is effective with everyone. Nobody is immune to this type of manipulation and behavior because we are biologically built to attach. And so don't waste your precious energy condemning yourself on what you didn't know and what was done to you. I also wanted to just end kind of contrasting with, we've talked a lot about what does it look like when it's not healthy? I just want to say a sentence or two about this is what a healthy relationship would look like physically is that you feel completely safe in your partner's presence. You do not feel threatened. You do not feel intimidated. You do not feel at risk by his presence. If he walks into a room, you don't feel fearful because he's there. You know that he's never going to hurt you. 
even if he's way bigger than you, even if he comes and, and playfully bumps you, you're, you're not going to, your body's not going to respond with a feeling of threat. That's what healthy looks like. And when it's not that, let's explore why that is. And that's going to need help and support as you explore that. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. I just want to thank you both for coming on the podcast today and furthering the discussion and bringing light to the topic of abuse, specifically today about physical abuse and all the covert ways that it can manifest itself in a relationship. I think this is really important information for our worth community to be aware of. And actually, I, I feel like it's an important topic for every woman to be aware of and to recognize those abusive patterns so that she can protect herself from them. It's a very complex topic I've come to realize, and there's a lot of underlining threads throughout a relationship. You know, you refer to incidences and because the relationship is not always bad, there's lots of good things in the relationship. I think it's sometimes hard to give merit to those incidences that may be occurring or patterns, those regular patterns that are occurring that are, are not healthy. And so I really appreciate this ongoing discussion that we have been having on the podcast about this particular topic because it's so complex. It, it, there's a huge spectrum associated with it. So in closing, I would just want to leave a couple of thoughts with our listeners. They come from a book titled, Why Does He Do That? by Lundy Bancroft. And he says, one of the obstacles to recognizing chronic mistreatment in a relationship is that most abusive men simply don't seem like abusers. They have many good qualities, including times of kindness, warmth, and humor, especially in the early periods of a relationship. An abuser's friends may think the world of him. He may have a successful work life and have no problems with drug, drugs or alcohol. He may simply not fit anyone's image of a cruel or intimidating person. So when a woman feels her relationship spinning out of control, it's unlikely to occur to her that her partner is an abuser. And he recognizes how difficult this can be and how uncomfortable it can be to talk to people you care about regarding the mistreatment that you're experiencing in a relationship. He goes on to say, you may feel ashamed of having a partner who sometimes behaves in unkind or bullying ways. And you may fear that people will be critical of you for not leaving him right away. Or you might have the opposite concern that people around you are so fond of your partner that you question whether they will believe you when you describe how mean or abusive he can be. But regardless of these anxieties, it is essential not to stay isolated with your distress or confusion about what is happening in your relationship. Find someone whom you can trust. And I might add, not only find someone whom you can trust, but find someone who's educated about abusive patterns, who can really help you discern those abusive patterns and how they're manifested in your relationship. Because if you're talking to someone just whom you trust, that's great. But if they're a concern to you, then it's probably time to reach out. And I guess my fear in reaching out to maybe my mother or someone who didn't understand abusive behaviors is they would justify in some way or minimize 
what is happening in the relationship when they can't see the whole picture. So that's why I feel it's really important to reach out to someone who's trained in this. He goes on to say, this is probably the, the single most critical step you can take toward building a life that is free from control or abuse. And that's why I love our worth community. I love that we can have this support network where women get it. They've been experiencing this and they get it. And even though it's a spectrum, we still can relate to it. And so I just, again, want to thank you both for bringing the light on this topic. I look forward to being able to have more conversations with you about this. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.